Hey, good morning, everybody. I am uh, Stuart Mazell. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks to all of you guys for being here today, whether you're a long-term member or a first-time visitor or anything in between. Thanks for worshiping with us today, and thanks for those of you who are joining us online. In the meantime, we're starting a new series that we've entitled, I Want to Know What Love Is. Some of you are going to recognize at least something of that image there. We're going to be, we're going to be doing a deep dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be at this for a little while. So, um, Part of the reason why we want to do this is uh, we want to grow in what it means to be a loving church. And so we're going to focus on what love is and how do we show that? What does it really look like to love? Uh, But in order to do that, we're going to have to hear what God has to say in his word to a church in Corinth that was, well, for lack of a better phrase, really messed up. If you read through 1 Corinthians, you see that this church had lots and lots and lots of problems. And Paul is going to say, really, part of the major issue that you guys are dealing with is you don't know how to love. So that's what we're going to pick up here. From uh, Actually, we're going to start in verse 29 of chapter 12 in order to get a little bit of a context Here's what God's Word says. This is what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. Not just for them, but for us today. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let me pray for us. Um, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to see what love really is, to find that love in Jesus, and to see that love spill out into the way we interact with others. And we pray this for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen. So some of you have already pointed out to me that you know where the uh, sermon title and even the sermon image came from. Back in 1984, the band Foreigner released its fifth studio album, Agent Provocateur. Now, I know I'm not saying that correctly if you speak French, but I don't speak French, so there. Can we have the image? And you can kind of see where we got the image for the uh, sermon series, only instead of an F, it's an L. Anyway, the album as a whole wasn't particularly praised by critics, which I find really interesting. One review stated, and I quote, on this, their latest excursion into the gaping jaws of pulverizing mediocrity, our boys continue to wrestle with an all-too-turgid identity crisis. They still can't decide whether it's stupider, I think it's stupider to say stupider, but okay, they can't still decide whether it's stupider to aspire to a poor man's Led Zeppelin status, or settle for being a weightier version of Chicago. Some swinging choice, huh? Either way, they lose. And this record is simply jammed with one dull defeat after another. Doesn't sound like um, singing praise, does it? But this album had their greatest hit of all time for them, I Want to Know what love is. It even had, it featured the New Jersey Mass Choir singing in the background. And to this day, it remains one of the band's best-known songs. It's been covered by uh, Tina Arena, Winona Judd, and Mariah Carey. And it's been included in numerous movies and included in numerous shows. It shows up at sports events. It is part of our culture now. And part of what that lyric, I think part of what makes that song so powerful is not just the music, but the lyrics. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Over the next few weeks, several weeks actually, we're going to take a little time. A little time to think it over. And we're going to investigate what love is. What does it really look like? And we're going to see the Holy Spirit show us 
what love is in this passage from 1 Corinthians 13. But before we get into this beautiful description of love in this passage, one thing we need to do first is we need to talk about why we're doing a deep dive into what love is. Because many of you may think, I know what love is. I don't need a several-week excursus on this. Please just get to the point. Others of you may go, oh boy, I knew Stuart was a liberal all this time. He's just going to give us some fuzzy, warm-feeling, lovey-dovey kind of thing about how we're just supposed to love one another and hold hands and sing kumbaya around a fire, and that's the way we're supposed to be. Well, you're wrong on many accounts there. But I will say that part of the reason why we're doing this why we're, is we need to understand that love is really important. One of my favorite philosophers, Soren Kierkegaard, in his book, Works of Love, says this, and I think this is a good intro into this. What a human being knows by himself about love is very superficial. What a human being knows by himself about love is very superficial. He must come to know the deeper love from God, and that is what this series is really supposed to be about. So here's what we're going to be talking about today. The main point, love is preeminent. Love is preeminent. It is most important. It is central. It is a big deal. Let's, let's work through this. In chapter 12, the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking to the church in Corinth. And they're dealing with all these issues. And one of the issues is they all had these different gifts being played out. And some people thought that their gifts were more important than other people's gifts. There was a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance, a lot of like, look at me, I'm better than you because I can do this, and you can't. And Paul gives this beautiful picture of what the body is. That the body isn't one part, it's many parts. And the many parts work together. And then, at the end, he says, look, are all apostles? And, and the obvious answer to that is, well, no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Again, no. Do all possess gifts of healing? Uh-uh. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? Nope. And then he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And that's when he dives into chapter 13 in this beautiful description of love. He's saying, love is the more excellent way. You guys are so focused on yourselves, you've forgotten what love is. And I want to show you what love is. And if you're still saying, well, wait a second, Stuart, are you sure that love is preeminent, that it's central, that it's the most important thing? Think about what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. So one of the scribes comes up to Jesus he had heard them disputing with one another, and, and seeing that Jesus had answered people well, he said, which commandment is the most important of all? 
And Jesus says the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Do you hear that? Jesus is saying love is more important. Love is central. Love is preeminent. In fact, Paul goes on to say in this passage that love is the greatest of all virtues. Love is the greatest of all the virtues. He says that right at the end of this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, wait wait a second. Okay, first of all, faith is really important. I mean, faith is believing that God is going to do what he says, even when we can't see it. So that should be most important, right? And Paul says, well, no, love is greater. What about hope? Hope is something that we're looking forward to, and without hope, we, we get discouraged and despair. Isn't hope really central to our faith? Well, it is central in some ways, but love is even more central, is what Paul is saying. Love is even greater. Part of the reason why love is greater, and it's not the only reasons, but part of the reason is faith will one day be sight. One day, I'm going to see face to face, and there won't be any need for faith in the sense of, I can't see it, but I believe it. I will see it, and I will believe it. Hope will one day become a reality. But love, love is something that's going to last forever. You will never, ever outgrow your need to love and to be loved. Never, ever. And that's why it's the greatest. Now, some of you are thinking, second, Stuart, this verse just says faith, hope, and love abide. You're saying that it's the greatest of all the virtues. There's only three listed. So aren't you stretching it a little bit? What about truth, Stuart? What about knowledge, Stuart? Don't you know that knowledge is important? How are you going to know what love is unless you know what it is, which is knowledge, right? How are you going to know what love really is without the truth? So truth is central. Knowledge is central. Knowledge is preeminent. And I've heard those arguments all my life. And I believe them. Until I actually read scripture. One of the problems that the Corinthians had was they had knowledge. They had knowledge about a lot of things, and they liked to talk about it. They liked to show it. They liked to prove that they were really smart, that they really had it all together. And Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If if you don't get the gist of that, what he's saying is, if all you have is knowledge... You're going to be full of yourself. You're going to be full of pride. You're going to be full of just saying, look at me. Look at how much I know. Come, 
Worship me, the one who knows many things. But love isn't about self-centeredness. It is about giving. It is about the other person. And so it doesn't puff us up. It builds other people up. It's not about me. It's about me showing love to you. That's what Paul is saying. And then if, if that's not enough for you, he goes on into chapter 13, verse 2. He says, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I want you to, I want you to hear this. I want that. Okay? Desire the greater gifts. That seems like a greater gift to me. I want to understand all the mysteries there are out there. But you know, part of the reason why I want that is exactly what I just said. So that when you come and say, hey, Stuart, do you know? And I go, yes. Yes, I do. And you know what that is? That is pride. That is pride. That's not love. It's pride. And so he's saying, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. Now, you tell me, which is more important, knowledge or love? Now, it's not a dichotomy. It's not that we have to put them up against each other. But if you have to choose one over the other, if you had to, Love is more important because you can have love without having knowledge. But if you have knowledge without love, Paul says you're nothing. Oh, excuse me. The Holy Spirit says you're nothing. And then he goes on to say in verses 8 and following, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. I don't know what that means, by the way. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. At the very least, what Paul is saying is those things that we see as prophecy, those things that we see as speaking in tongues, those things that we see as knowledge in this life, those things, those partial things will pass away in some sense, but what will last is what's forever and what will last is love. You see that? Part of the reason why I think love is so central is because, well, 1 John 4, 8 tells us that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So, yeah, love is central because God is love. If you want to know what love is, you look at God. He'll show you. Oh, one more point that I have to make before we move on, and I know I'm, I'm kind of belaboring a point here, but I'm sure there are some of you who are like, hold on, Stuart, okay. I can follow you all the way up until this point right here, this point, the preeminence part. The, the, that the love is more important. It's greater than any other virtue. I got you on this one. I got you. You made a mistake. You're going to have to apologize to everybody. Holiness. Holiness is more important than love. 
It is. You know how I know? R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul said it. In his book, The Holiness of God, here's what he says. Only once in sacred scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not, mere, not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, love, love. See? Or mercy, mercy, mercy. Or wrath, wrath, wrath. Or justice, justice, justice. It does say that he is holy, holy, holy. And that the whole earth is full of his glory. So see, R.C. Sproul said it. I believe it. That settles it. Holiness is more important than love. And because... God calls us to be holy, 1 Peter 1, 15-16. But as he who has called you is holy, you also must be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That means holiness is more important for us than love, right? Let's, let's examine that for a minute. Now, I am not going to disagree with R.C. Sproul. I think he's right in that holiness is seen as the preeminent aspect of who God is. But we have to ask, what is holiness to us? See, holiness to God is being set apart from creation. But we can't be set apart from creation. Only the creator can be set apart from creation. So how is God holy and we can be holy like he is holy that has to do with sin. God is set apart from sin. He cannot sin. Right? Now, if you have gone through the uh, children's catechism, or maybe the shorter catechism, or the larger catechism, if I ask, what is sin? You may have an answer for that. What is it? Now, very simply, sin is anything that we say, that we think, or we do, that does not measure up to what God says. Right? that we should say, or we should do, or we should think. So any command in Scripture is what God is saying, do this or don't do that, right? And that's how you can be holy, how you can be set apart for God. You following me? What does Jesus say the greatest commandment is? Let's rewind. Mark chapter 12. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You shall be holy as I am holy is another commandment. And Jesus is saying... This commandment is more important than that one. You know why? Because if you really want to know what holiness looks like for us, it's loving God and loving neighbor. Do you hear me? Do you get it? Love is central because love is holiness. 
We want to be holy. We have to be loving the way that God says that love is. We have this idea of holiness that is not God's idea of holiness. Holiness is being like God in being loving to Him and loving to others. And Paul makes that very clear in this passage. That he gets to the point that he says, look, love is so central. Love is so preeminent. Love is so important that love is what makes our gifting and our actions meaningful, significant, and worthwhile. Love is so important in God's economy that our gifting and our actions get their meaning, their significance, and their worthwhileness from love. And if you don't agree with that statement, at least look at what Paul says in this passage. Let's walk through it quickly. 1 Corinthians 13.1 If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... Now, whether that's about like uh, the, the modern phenomenon of speaking in tongues or not, we're not even going to get dive into that. That's a, that's a whole other subject. But what we're going to talk about is, regardless of what he's talking about here, that sounds pretty awesome. To be able to say something that is in the tongues of many men, many people all around the world, or of angels. But he says, if I'm doing that and I have not love, what am I? I'm a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. I can't help but think about, I think I mentioned this before in another sermon, but it fits here. There was a time where uh, my kids were small and people loved to give us for Christmas gifts that made horrible noises. And we went to see my parents and I can't remember if it was my sister or my parents, but somebody gave us one of those devices, one of those toys that just like, you know, going, eh, 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 all the time. And we thought we had turned it off, but we didn't. And so the entire ride from North Carolina to South Carolina, it's in the back going, eh, 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 driving us crazy, right? That's what we're like when we don't have love. An annoying noise in the background, just eh, 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 eh. Verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, now I've already mentioned how, man, knowing all mysteries and all knowledge would be awesome, but to have a faith that could actually remove a mountain, whether that's literal or figurative, it doesn't matter, I want that kind of faith, right? And you do too. But Paul says, look, if we have all that, but we have not love, I am nothing. Notice very clearly, he doesn't say that knowing is nothing. He doesn't say that faith is nothing. He says that I am nothing if I don't have love. There's your meaning. There's your significance. That that is what makes life and these gifts worthwhile. It is love. 1 Corinthians 13.3 If I give away all that I have, I'm just like, oh, uh, you know, Jesus, I'm going to give up my house. 
I'm going to give up my car. I'm going to give up my bank account. I'm going to give it all to the church, and I'm just going to go be a missionary in some foreign field. If I do all that, and even if I deliver up my body to be burned, I'm going to be a martyr for Jesus. But I do it out of something other than love. I gain nothing. See how important love is in God's eyes? And it's not just this passage, it's all over the place. In fact, those of you who follow Jesus, hear this. Love is the defining characteristic of what the followers of Christ are. Love is the defining characteristic of the followers of Christ. There is no other defining characteristic that is as important as love. We see this from the lips of Jesus himself. John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How is the world going to know that we're disciples? Disciples of Jesus. It's our love. I think we are all tempted to rewrite what Jesus says. We are all tempted to say, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you got your theology straight. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you're the member of the right kind of church and the right kind of denomination that believes the right kind of things. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you belong to the right political party. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you denounce others for what you see as their wrongs. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you speak out on the hot issues of the day. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you talk about God a lot. But that's not what Jesus said, is it? We can't rewrite what Jesus said and be faithful to Jesus. Jesus said, by this, by loving one another, all people, that's how all people are going to know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It was love for one another that when in the early church a terrible, terrible disease was ravaging a town, and everybody left. It was like, kind of like the COVID scare, only on gigantic amounts of steroids. I mean, it, was, it wasn't just a scare. It was the pandemic to end all life in a town. And people were getting out of Dodge because they didn't want to get sick, except for the Christians. They stayed. They took care of the sick. They took care of the people who were dying. Why? Because they took this seriously. They said, Jesus says, this is how people will know 
that we're his disciples by the way we love one another. And they loved one another, even to the point of dying for them. And people around noticed. And that's why there was such a huge influx of people coming to know Christ. Would that the church today showed that kind of love? Maybe we would see a revival. Again, the scripture says, 1 John 4, 7 through 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You want to prove that you really are born of the Spirit? You want to show that you really do belong to Jesus? It's by the way you love. And if you notice there's a lack of love, if your love quotient is really low, if you find it hard to love, well, that's the good news. Because we can't do it on our own. I can't manufacture love. If you say, Stuart, I want you to love that person that's really hard for you to love, I can't just go, okay, I did it. I love them. It doesn't happen that way. No. How do we grow in love if we recognize there's a love deficiency in us? The good news is that we are enabled to grow in love because God loved us first in Christ. The only reason that we're any of us are able to grow in love is because God loved us first. In Christ. We see that in 1 John 4.19. We love because He first loved us. We were the ones who were going astray, not God. We were the ones who were leaving behind the love of God. We were the ones who were running from Him and God came after us and He loved us and He said, I want you. I want you to stop running. I want you to stop breaking yourself against my laws and commands, which are really for your good. I want you to stop hurting yourself and hurting others. I want you to know my love for you. And let that love fill you up so that you love other people too. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were good. Not when we were good little Christian boys and girls. Not when we were coming to Sunday school class every day and being a part of a life group and coming to worship services and doing our service and being everything that God has called us to be. Not then. But when we were at our worst, God said, let me show you how much I love you. Here's my son who was willing to die on a cross for you so that you would know my love and be changed from the inside out. 
And not only does He do that to save us from the penalty of our sins, He even goes further in 1 John 3, 1. We see, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Brothers and sisters, if you believe in Jesus, you're not just forgiven. And that's amazing in and of itself that you're forgiven. But you're not just forgiven. You're God's beloved child. He picked you. He chose you. He adopted you. And he said, I don't just want you to experience being forgiven. I want you to be my child. I want you to be in my household forever. I want you to experience all the glories and wonders and beauties of living with me forever. That is the love of God. That is the kind of thing we need to see. If we want to know what love is, look at Jesus. Look at the love of God that has been displayed. Think about how far we fall short of who God is and how far God came in Christ to pick us up, clean us off, and put us in His family. So your action point for today and for the rest of this time. Look, take growing in love seriously. Take growing in love seriously. I kind of think, again, that we make fun of people who take growing in love seriously. It's the let's hold hands and sing kumbaya kind of thing. And we, we say those things as derogatory kinds of insults against people who want to grow in love. But taking love seriously, taking growing in love seriously, is just taking the Scripture seriously. Did you hear that? If you want to take the Scripture seriously, take growing in love seriously, because God has poured out His love in the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we would be loving people. Stephen Lawson, in his um, article, Love Significance, and I, I... I almost want to close with this, but there's one more thing I have to say before I can close. But this is a really good way of closing. He says, it is virtually impossible to exaggerate the importance of love. Virtually impossible to exaggerate the importance of love. Nothing is more basic to true spirituality than this singular virtue. Nothing is more central to Christian living. At the very heart of authentic discipleship is love. Without love, we are nothing. In Christian living, love is not a secondary matter. It is a primary matter. Love is never incidental. It is fundamental. It's that important. Now, I mentioned I need to say something before we leave. There's one passage, one part of this passage that we haven't touched on that much. And for the first time, it made sense to me. Verses 11 through 13. 
And this is why we need to take love seriously. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You know what is childish about behavior? It's immature. It's all about me. Take a toy away from a child who doesn't want to give it up and see what happens. Tell a child. Tell a child that they have to do something that they don't want to do and see if they go, okay, that sounds like a good idea, Dad. I will gladly do that for you. Not unless you've got different kids. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I was self-centered. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When we become mature in Christ, we give up immaturity. We give up childish ways. We give up selfishness. For now we see in a mirror dimly, then we see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You want to give up childish ways? Pursue love. You want to give up childish ways? You want to become mature in Christ? Grow in love. You want to stop being childish? Take love seriously. Don't make fun of people who are trying to take love seriously. Take love seriously. Because God takes it seriously. So seriously that he gave you Jesus. And everything that comes with him. So, let's drink deeply, folks. Let's drink deeply of the love of Christ so that we will overflow in love for God and for others. And that is going to be my prayer for you all from now on. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us to drink deeply of the love of Jesus so that we will overflow in love for you and in love for other people. For your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for our good and for the good of other people. We pray this. Amen.